Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Ski Instructor Podcast. My name is Dave Burrows and I'm the director and owner of Snowpro Ski School based here in the Swiss Alps near Champery. Um, this week, episode 30, I bring you um, a really special interview with, uh, with Blair Aitken. Um, Blair looks after the British Backcountry Facebook group and also um, website and runs courses um, in the backcountry in the UK, in Scotland, um, which sort of takes people off into, into, into the wild country. And, and it's been an interview that I've been after for a while. Um, Blair has come up with a, in, in connection with a number of other people that we've interviewed here on the podcast. And, um, and yeah, and it didn't, it didn't disappoint whatsoever. Um, we talk um, a lot about his skiing background, uh, growing up in Scotland, racing, that kind of thing. Um, then we go on to talk about Scottish skiing and, and you know, cultural changes, how that used to be and how it is now, um, what it was like growing up in Scotland and, uh, and a couple of things that we touch on to do with kind of long-term weather trends and various other bits and pieces. Um, later on in the interview we'll also start to talk about we also talk about um, uh, the British backcountry itself and the courses they run and what they do um, during the winter so this episode is going to be pretty much the Christmas special Um, I'm going to get this out today and hopefully that will be uh, I'll be with you for Christmas Day and it's deliberately kind of light on Covid chat it's deliberately light on on you know Brexit chat and all that sort of stuff I just present to you the interview as is no interruptions no pauses um, and just this lovely chat that I had with Blair and hopefully it's going to be some nice listening pleasure for you over the Christmas period so um, whatever it is that you're you're up to over Christmas um, I wish you a very Merry Merry Christmas uh, Happy New Year let's hope that 2021 brings a lot more positivity than 2020 has um thank you all so much for listening i really really appreciate it um and uh, i will see you on episode 31 Blair Aitken, welcome to the Ski Instructor Podcast. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. Likewise. So there's a bit of snow on the Scottish hills, I hear. Yeah, did you see that on Facebook? That's I again, did, yeah, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trawling your um, British backcountry page. And, and, <laughs> yeah, we're, just, we're starting the hype, which yeah. is, um, could, could be, uh, it could work or we might have just hype and no snow, but I, I've got fingers crossed and uh, hopefully it'll work out this season. Well, there is snow. There's snow there. Yeah, there, right? there is snow. I, I know there is snow, but the problem with the snow in Scotland is there's snow right now. We could go ski touring right now. We could probably go ski touring tomorrow, but we might not be able to go ski touring on Saturday because it might all melt. And it's looking <laughs> like it. But that's just how it is. You know, this is winter 1.0. There'll be winter 2.0, 3.0. It'll go all the way. You know, it'll come and go all season. Well, you get, you get, don't you? You get some quite late skiing in Scotland. Like you guys are all yeah. skiing in May and stuff, aren't you? Like you do, that must be something to do with the weather quirk or, or whatever. Well, yeah. I mean, actually, the most reliable, if if you can ski steeper terrain and you can ski gullies, coolers, yeah. um, then the most reliable skiing is the late on in the season. This, the start of the season, you have some amazing storms come in, um, plaster everything white, and you know if you can be there quickly and there the right day. You can have some terrific days, but it, it, it very much is um, just chasing storms. Yeah. But what happens is we get, you know, we have a prevailing wind. Um, we have a, a lot of uh, winds coming from the southwest, a lot of weather coming off the Atlantic. 
Mm. So what that does is it packs in um, the lee-facing side of the mountains, it packs in the gullies. Um, and so, for example, you've got a big mountain like Ben Nevis, um, you've got the north face of Ben Nevis and the gullies in there get absolutely hammered with snow all season. Mm. Um, and they're quite dangerous. You know, Actually, they're dangerous at any time, but they're particularly dangerous until the cornices collapse and, and things start to settle toward the end of the season. So we're not really touching that stuff till March. Right. But that, that sort of skiing can go on until July. You know, we could be skiing gullies in, on Ben Nevis in July. Because uh, you have got some, some hardy souls up there who try to ski every month of the year, haven't you? Yeah, there's a, there's a lady called Helen Rennie. Um, I forget how many years she's managed now, or how many months in a row she's managed. I think she may have taken one... Well, of course, she, she missed one month because of lockdown. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'd have to check that, but she's, she's got an incredible record, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. So... Let's let's kind of introduce you. Um, you're our sort of Scottish correspondent for for uh, for the purposes of this. But the, the the sort of the connection. I've been I've seen your British backcountry stuff that you've been doing for for a long time, and I've really wanted to talk to you for a long time because I think it's so so interesting. Um, but you have a connection with one of our previous guests, Lynn, uh, Lynn yeah. Neal, who now you know, lives out uh, towards Val d'Isere, and. Um, you know your name came up in conversation there but you're you're you've been quite well involved in the the, the british ski scene scene for a long time how did how did you first get on skis and what's your what is your journey through to eventually becoming an instructor look like yeah i was um, i was very fortunate um we have a, a really good dry ski slope near edinburgh so i learned to ski there um and i, I got into ski racing uh i'd be guessing maybe 10 years old um, and then started to go up to the highlands, um, Cairngorm Mountain in particular. Uh, and my parents had a, a caravan that we left in Lochmore campsite um, in the winter. So I used to travel up on a Friday night, ski Saturday, Sunday up in the Cairngorms, um, uh, train uh, slalom and giant slalom with um, Scottish Ski Club. Uh-huh. Similar background to Lynn, actually. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, and then um, eventually made it onto the, the Scottish team. And started to do some races uh, abroad. Um, I was actually based in Quebec for for two winters, I think it was, um, with a French Canadian coach um, that we that lived out there. It just it was easier and, and more affordable just to stay with him and, and do the circuit and the, the sort of North American races. Mm-hmm. Um, and then during my time in the Scottish team, I met a, a chap called Alistair Rainback. Now I don't know if you met. Do you know of Ali? No, I don't. He's, New generation. So he started a new generation ski school with mm. um, Warren and Tom um, and Richard. I forgot Richard's second name. Yeah. Anyway, um, so Tom Saxland is the remaining director of New Generation. Yeah, Tom, I know. So they started New Generation together. And he, so Ali had taken some time uh, before New Generation to um, get more experience coaching and he was helping with the Scottish team. Mm-hmm. And he was, uh, he was a very, uh, um, uh, I don't know the word, just uh, very energetic and very friendly chap and um, really got me interested in other sides of the sport. And we stayed in touch over the years. Um, and he, when he started a new generation, um, he did say to me, you know, get yourself through the Basie system and then we'll try and get you some work out here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went off to university to try and do something different. And, you know, after four years of university, I realized I didn't really want to do anything different. <laughs> I wanted to get back to the mountains. Yeah. Uh, and so the last couple of years of that of university, I, I managed to um, move back in with my parents and uh, used all my student loans and everything to pay for basic courses. And because I was a ski racer and I skied 
a, a reasonable level. Um, the, the technical side was was the was, was straightforward, and I, I, I um, the, the Euro test I had exemption for the Euro test because of my my ranking, my seat points were low enough. Oh, that's cool. Um, so I managed to get through that relatively straightforward, um, and and got a job for New Generation in in Maryville um, for for Alice, for Ali and the guys. Oh. Um, and then after a year of doing that, I ran a, in Maryville. I ran like the the GAP program for the ISA training, um, and yeah, really enjoyed it and really enjoyed the team. And then Tom Warren and Ali offered me the chance to start New Generation in Val d'Isere. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was starting to get interested in in off piece skiing, um, ski touring. Done a little bit. Well, I've done a fair bit in Scotland actually before I, before I went out, but not a huge amount in the Alps other than to get through the Basie. Mm. Um, so yeah, I was quite interested by Val d'Isere just because the terrain there is incredible, you know, and the access to big mountains, um, but non-glaciated, so it, it works really well as an instructor, yeah. as opposed to being a guide. You know, there's a lot of options there. Um, so yeah, I jumped on it, and um, my wife and I we, we went up to there to start New Jersey. Well, it was actually started the year before by Ken Smith, who, mm. who, who left to have to create his own ski school. Mm-hmm. So I started more from Ken, but it was kind of like building up from scratch because obviously Ken had. Was um, was continuing with his own clients and his business. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think it was uh, must have been eight years with, or maybe nine years with New Gen. Um. And I became a basic trainer early on in that. You know, perhaps a little bit too quick. And I kind of, I just it was I was at that age where like folk offer you stuff and you just keep saying yes. You know, because you, you know <laughs> yeah. when you're young you're up for you're up for everything. You know, you think you could do everything. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I became a trainer and and because I was my technical skiing was fairly high level. I was. I managed. I was sort of fast tracked through and started to run the three and four technical exams for Basie, mm-hmm. which is is amazing. You know, it's amazing skiing, and you get to ski with some incredible skiers, but it's very demanding, uh, and I found it quite stressful um, because you know people's careers are are on the line. Well, on the line, you know, they're, they're, people's progressions in their career um, depends on these courses. Um, mm. I took it, you know, I took it very seriously, very personally. I think sometimes, you know, when I was working with people, I desperately wanted to get through these qualifications, but then was trying to stick very, very rigidly to the criteria. And it's that kind of weird kind of dynamic you're you're in when you're training and assessing people. Um, I you, find that very difficult. Uh, but I did that for about nine years, um, and during that that time, met a lot of really good instructors. Uh, and Lynn and Dougie, uh, Dougie Mill, who. Um, uh, sorry, um, Lynn's husband, who they, mm. they work together now. Yeah. They, they work for me in, uh, in Val d'Isere for New Generation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. We'd known each other from past. Yeah, they talk quite highly of you um, uh, when, when we did the, the Lynn Mill interview. Um, that's for sure. When you, um, I, I think that's quite an interesting point. So you, you, would you say then that you maybe became a busy trainer and you were running and delivering those courses? Would it be fair to say that you might have felt that you were too young at that point? You know, to have the what would you call it? Like the, not the gravitas—that's the wrong word—but like the, the the sort of the ability to detach yourself from it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No, I think that's the right way of saying it. Um, you know, like I said at the time, I would not have admitted that. You know, but yeah. like looking back on it now, like that side of skiing for me, I just feel the sort of skiing I do now is so different. You know, I don't even think of it as skiing. Like yeah. what, I, what I do now is much more akin to what a mountain leader would do in the Scottish Highlands. Yeah, uh, and, and and actually in the latter years in Val d'Isere, I was starting to get more and more uh, touring bookings, and 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 that side of the sport was was much better for me. You know, mm. I, I think like you know when you you see this a lot in the Alps. I think with a lot of coaches and instructors, when you come from a competitive racing background, yeah, 
you, you carry that mentality through into your career. And that's why you get a lot of very competitive coaches working on glaciers, almost aggressive to some point, you know, when you're racing up there to get your gates in first before anyone else gets them in, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think you get, because there's a lot of um, people coming from a competitive skiing background in snow sports, um, yeah, you, you, like you, you get people like I was when I was young where they just, they, they go for every opportunity. Um, and I, I think when you when you get to the, when I started to deliver the basic courses, I actually really enjoyed the, the level one and level two, but the higher courses, um, I, I've not only got a week to do it or two weeks to do it if you're lucky to do a, a level three technical course. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that side of things, I think it takes a lot longer. And I, and again, like like with new generation, with the team I had a new generation, uh, you know, I was working on those basic courses with some very very good trainers who had done it for a very long time. And had been through all that stuff, and were able to, uh, yeah, we're able to work with in these kind of stressful situations, and 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 um, in a much more relaxed manner. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, some some great trainers. Hmm. I suppose probably you know once you've seen a certain number of of courses like that, you know, like it, by I would imagine that you'd be quite nervous for the outcome for some of the the students if you're on your first, second, third, fourth, fifth. You know, you might feel it slightly more personally, but I suppose once you get to, you know, your 20th or 25th or whatever, you're able to detach yourself from the process a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, perhaps, yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe yeah, just... I, I, I did my ACL on one of those courses and that was that, so I didn't run anymore after that one. <laughs> oh, no, that's why I did, I did actually. Um, I, was in, I was in Val d'Isere and I was, um, I was running a four tech and I can't remember what I was doing. There was, there was, a, there was a lady on the course, a really strong skier, and I think I was just trying to get her to get a bit more lateral yeah. and just to explore a little bit more with like the range of movement. She had you know big legs on her and she was like long legs. I mean, yeah. and she was she was strong skiers. So I thought she could go deeper in the turn, you know. Yeah. And I remember doing this demo and uh, and I for some reason I'd taken a riser out of my off my ski, so I was so a centimeter lower than I would normally be. Right. I think I was these skis and bumps or something. And we went over, made an angle, booted out. You know, when your boot hits the snow <laughs> yeah, and the, ski, yeah, yeah. the edge comes off. Yeah. Went sliding down on my ass and then tried, because I was in front of my group, I was too proud to fall. So I tried <laughs> to save it by just jamming in the top ski and trying to jump back on my edges. And of course, I ping over the other way and I just hear snap. Oh, and no. I, I knew it was the ACL, you know, and yeah. I had these Luke bindings on, you know, nothing wrong with Luke bindings, but these were old ones, you know, I shouldn't have yeah. been using. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, so the ski didn't come off and I was like, you know, anyway, the group come up to help me. Mm-hmm. And, um, I st- I'm like, I'm all right, guys, I'm all right. Try to stand up on the leg, yeah. and I just fell over and pass out, and I'm unconscious on the ground with my whole level four group around me, <laughs> and they had to rescue me off the hill. Oh, uh, they had to get the blood wagon in and take me off the hill. Um, yeah, so I went. I went to see a doctor, and he's like, ah, "It can't be your ACL. You know, you're walking fine, blah blah blah." And you know, I've seen loads of ACLs can't be ACL. I was like, "I'm sure it's my ACL." So anyway, I told. Um, I remember I was speaking to Basie because I had another level four in Chamonix after that. And I was saying, look, I don't think I can do this. You know, my knee's not right. And they were saying, well, you know, we haven't got anyone else to so see how you feel. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so, you know, the doctor said it was okay. So I remember I ran, a, I ran another one in Chamonix with his knee brace on and I was demoing bumps and every, oh. you know, five bumps my knee was slipping out. It was just all over the place. So yeah, yeah. after that, I was like, you know what? <laughs> this is far too much on my body and the... You know, I'm stressed. So yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was the last four I did. And then, yeah, I went back to Scotland and uh, started doing more touring. And also started, I ran a few, like, level ones and twos in Glenshee. Mm-hmm. And they were the best courses I ever ran. Oh, they were so good. Mm. Uh, yeah, really, people uh, coming from 
all, all over the kind of the, the, the east side of Scotland coming together for these these courses in the Highlands, and we did have some good conditions. Uh, yeah. And they were so interested in in everything that we were doing. It was fantastic. That's really cool. The um, the, the one thing I would, would I, I occasionally see videos. It, uh, let me get my thoughts in order here. So it's interesting, right? So you're, when you're younger, you're right. You do say yes to kind of everything and you kind of go down these cul-de-sacs and you, you sort of, you I don't know, I guess you're just more curious about the world. But I think as you evolve, I've said this to a few people over the years, is that you you, you don't, until you, I, I think this is, a, maybe it's a male thing, I don't know, but you don't really know what you're interested in until you hit your 30s or so, I don't think. Um you know, like you, you don't really have a sort of appreciation of actually what it is that that makes you tick. Oh, absolutely, and, yeah. And, and I think yeah. Um, you know, if you look at like I, I work in education at the moment, um, do a lot of outdoor activities with children in schools, and um, the amount of pressure we put on children to decide what they're going to do. Oh, it's but, terrible, isn't it? And nowadays, that's actually not that relevant because in in a lifetime, you're nowadays you're probably going to have three or four, five, six different things that you do. It's not like it was before. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and I'd imagine I think for yourself as well, you know, snow sports came after two different careers or so. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, for me, that's that's quite common, isn't it? You know, I think one. Sorry, sorry, one of the things I think I'm I'm really because my my cycle. I've looked back through my life, and it's about on average about every seven to ten years, I've completely changed what it is that I do. Um, Yeah, I think it is, but but now I can't. It, it, this is the most interesting one. So I'm now what <laughs> ten years into this into into this project. So it's taken me sort of, you know, in terms of like going through the system and then and then sort of setting up the ski school and stuff. I'm now like ten years in. But really, yeah. if you listen to anyone who says anything about building a business, I've got at least another ten years in front of me here, yeah. where where I've now got to build what I've created and stick to it and keep going with it to build it into yeah. some sort of, you know, lasting legacy or whatever. And that that's interesting for me because already I'm kind of, I see other things. I think, oh, I'd like to, you know, maybe I'd like to go over there, you know, mm. but you, you can't, you've got to commit if you created something, you know, you can't let all the people down that you've, 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 you've sort of brought into your project you can't just one day go oh no i've had enough of this you know yeah. it's um it's really interesting to see that but you're right i think those days where you know maybe yeah. you left school at 16 and you're a carpenter and you're a carpenter for the rest of your life like or you know you work in the same company for 50 years like that that stuff just doesn't exist anymore does it um, yeah i i, I don't know. I, mean, I think um i'm just with the, the the children i've been working with recently it's um yeah they, speaking to them about what they think is going to come next and, and they really have, have no idea no. Um, whereas their, their parents maybe had a bit more direction but, um, but I think we're very fortunate with snow sports that um, you know especially if you've if you've been able to get to a high level in another career and then snow sports was perhaps like a, a hobby or a passion and then to be able to move into that yeah. and, uh, and make a living at that that's, that's fantastic I mean I was kind of the opposite to that in that it was something I did from an early age mm. uh, I would guess after leaving France um, I did take a different direction in that I'm a more general outdoor instructor now and yeah. snow sports is just one of just one of many activities that I'm doing and I think um the change for me and actually the interesting thing about that for me was that um snow sports helped me into these other areas you know I was already I'd done a little bit of climbing done quite a bit of cycling mm. uh, you know but really I was predominantly snow sports I'd done and you know in the in the off season I was traveling and running my business uh, remotely but um but yeah, uh, because of ski mountaineering and ski touring, I, I needed to upskill 
uh, you know, and I needed to be better at rope work and mountaineering skills. Navigation had to improve. And by doing a lot of courses in these areas, it actually got me interested. Well, navigation got me interested in hill walking. Um, rope work got me interested in trad climbing. Yeah. Um, the mountaineering skills got me interested in uh, it just, you know, a, a little bit of winter climbing. I'm not a winter climber, but, you know, certainly interested in that side of, of um, the, the Scottish uh, mountains. Mm. Uh, so actually from snow sports, you know, things just broadened hugely. Um, yeah. And that, that's been great. That's been fantastic. So, so although I've still, still got a similar kind of lifestyle, it's just that there's, yeah, there's a lot of variety in the activities I do now. It's um it's it's funny it's something I was just talking to 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 um to Phil Brown about on the phone before I spoke to you and and you know it, it's interesting from a sort of snow sports perspective because you you as you climb further and further up the pyramid you end up getting more and more and more specialised in in terms of what you do and and you know what a lot of people will say to you at the moment or, or you I'm using you in the general term but what they'll say is oh you know this is an opportunity to look for you know this whole COVID thing is like an opportunity to look for you know other opportunities or or you know train yourselves in other ways and so it's not it's not that easy for a lot of people to do that because they're also, highly specialised everybody, everybody who's having a difficult hard time at the moment of their career mm. that they need to retrain or, and find yeah. something else at the moment that's a lot of people looking for something else absolutely so. absolutely <laughs> it's, it's yeah and everyone's in the same boat right it's, it's very um it's, it's a very interesting time this because yeah let's say so, um, I'm, I'm just pulling this out of the air but let's say that you're um, you know, ski instructor based in, uh, for want of a better example, Val d'Isere, right? Your your entire business that you've been building up over the last, say, you know, seven or eight years or whatever, relies mm. on people coming to Val d'Isere and a certain time, let's say you don't speak French or whatever, like you're not really going to take the local market and, and actually this winter, how many people are, are realistically being able to get to Val d'Isere? Now you've created something over the last period of that time but it's sort of been taken away through no fault of your own. It's not your own incompetence. And it's not no. as easy as saying, oh, I need to learn how to code and go into something, you know, completely different industry. It ain't going to work like that because you're so highly specialised to get to a level where you can go and teach in France, you know, with that qualification. Yeah. It's um, it's, it's, it's going to be a very strange time over the next year or so, I'd say. Yeah, you know, I, yeah no, I, really, I really feel for my friends that are out right there. Yeah. Um, I hope, yeah. I hope, um, hope things get easier. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about the. I just want to take you back. Tell me about the ski racing thing. What, what was your specialty? Were you you a tech specialist, speed specialist? What was your? Uh... Yeah, yeah, more just slalom. Uh, I think I think I was at some point. I think I was maybe ranked third best in the country for slalom. Um, mm-hmm. Scottish champion. Um, uh, I think I maybe got top three in some British champs. I can't really remember. Uh, I had some, there was some very good guys skiing uh, same time as me you know Noel Baxter was in my age group Gareth Trainer. Uh, they both went on to British team and they were in the Salt Lake Olympics um, actually I mean I, I, did, I did race I did race at the same time as Dave Ryan and very briefly mm-hmm. on the dry slope yeah. um, but he, he would have been a little you know a little top uh, <laughs> when I was racing <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I took it as far as I could, uh, but I'm not, a, I'm not strong, you know, I'm a wee guy, uh, yeah. and I was racing against the big guys, and I, I sort of feel like my, my technical scheme was, was good, but I, I just, you know, I wasn't fast enough. Um, yeah. But I'm happy, you know, like, I kind of like in life, I like when you try, you take things as far as you can, and then you realise, okay, that's, that's, as, that's as good as I can do in that, I've done as much as I can in that. Yeah, I bumped uh, up against and I'm satisfied with it. 
I mean, it was a strange time though, because I, because I in 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 skiing, uh, you know, I was racing during the time where we we transitioned into shaped skis. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I I would have been uh, racing full time. Uh, well, I mean, sort of late eighties, early nineties. It was sort of mid nineties, I would say, when people, yeah, maybe about ninety five or something, when people started to use uh, shorter, more more side cut uh, in slalom and giant slalom. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a bit of a funny thing, and and some some people just you know they they, they got the right kit and off they went. Uh, um, but I have to say, like, if that hadn't happened, I'm not sure I would have raced for so long because it, it was quite hard going on the on the older equipment, you know. Um, yeah. And it, yeah, you didn't really have the same flow. But then when we started to use these skis, I mean, it just became so much fun, and there was no restrictions, you know. So huge amount of height under the boot and crazy side cut, massive angles, and just wild skiing. You know, you get spat <laughs> at the courses all the time because the skis were just pinging you everywhere. Yeah. But it, it was hugely enjoyable, and then of course they caught on to the risks, and you know courses started to change. And um, but yeah, it was uh, yeah the, ski, the skiing and changed while I was racing, um, so that was exciting. Yeah. But yeah, I just uh, I kind of I wasn't really physically strong enough uh, to compete at any higher level. I um, think I know. think that's isn't that one of the most interesting evolutions lately in slalom uh, at the higher levels? It's, it's certainly what I see. It looks to me like a lot of the guys are getting taller. And yeah, leaner yeah, I, and longer. I, I'm totally out of touch with racing. I must admit, you know, yeah. I, I was I was interested in um, I, I've been interested in grassroots stuff, you know, like the local dry slope and some of the stuff that goes in the highlands. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess like for for me, I, I, it just it was such a big part of my life. I, I was quite happy. There's nothing I don't. There's nothing. It's not. Like I don't like ski racing. I just I was quite happy to take a step back from it all. And, and yeah. yeah. So at the moment, um, I feel quite un- out of touch from the current, <laughs> the current thing. Yeah. Yeah, when you get somebody like Dave Ryden, you know, it does get you back interested again, doesn't it? It certainly does. I think there isn't, you know, it, it, it certainly it certainly makes me tune in, you know, for, for, for those races. I think it's wonderful to watch. And I, I kind of hope that we also have some couple of guys, you know, that, that can come through in the, 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 yeah, the giant course, yeah, slalom yeah. as well, which would be really cool. Um, but yeah, okay. So then this takes you... This takes you well. No, no. I got one more thing because I think it, it ties in a little bit with with sort of technique. And, and and I know you said you weren't, you know, like I say, you're out of touch with the racing stuff. But when you were growing up and going through, you know, that that racing, you weren't just racing dry slope, presumably. You're racing, you know, Scotland as well uh, on snow. But yeah, the 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 the, the can. I suppose the question is: I know so many amazing skiers that have come out of of that sort of Scottish scene, um, and I wonder if that's anything to do with the, the the how variable the conditions are within sort of Scottish skiing. That when you get on some you know lovely European snow, it all seems a little bit easy. That's that's the kind of theory that I'm floating around in my head. Yeah, I mean, well, it depends what kind of era you're from because we've had periods where we've had a lot of good conditions and then we've had the opportunity to get a lot of miles under our feet. Um, I, I actually think uh, I think a lot of the good UK skiing actually comes from the dry slopes uh, as much as from the snow. Mm. You know, I, I think like, you know, a, a, a kid that's absolutely, like I was absolutely obsessed with, with, with going up to the local dry slope. You know, I was going up there like what, five, five nights a week or something crazy. Mm. You know, it, the amount, the amount of repetition of a movement pattern that you get on a dry slope is incredible. Yeah. You know, and we're just talking about Dave Ryden. You know, there, there's a good example. Yeah. Uh, so, 
Yeah, I think a lot of the good skiing comes from somewhere like like Headland in Edinburgh. There's a lot of really good skiers coming through there. Um, and in the Highlands, yeah, people that are getting, like I was getting two days a week training in the Highlands um, most winters. You know, we had some pretty shocking winters, but, you know, in the 80s, 90s, it wasn't quite as bad as, as it has been since. Mm. Um, so, yeah, if you get a period of sort of five seasons in a row where you can get regular training, so there's a lot of miles that people are getting. Um, so, so, yeah, and the conditions, uh, yeah, for sure, the conditions are challenging. Um, I think you get you get kind of I don't want to say I hate the word but hardened to the weather as well you know and you don't you don't mind going out and training in some pretty marginal conditions yeah and that I mean, that's really true of ski touring like the the, the skill set for, for ski touring in Scotland is, is quite different to what most people need for ski touring in the Alps because simply because the days that some of the days we go out in Scotland you wouldn't ever consider going out in those days in the Alps you know when the visibility is that bad the wind's that bad but because we have so few days, um, we've got to make the most of them. Um, yeah. And yeah. yeah, people are maybe a little bit more. Uh, I mean, it's a total generalisation, but you know, your 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 average ski tourer might have more skills in navigation and more comfort, more, be more comfortable skiing on this kind of hard, nevy kind of icy stuff that we have when the yeah. wind scours it. You know. Yeah. So that's that one thing people get used to. They get used to skiing some yeah some snow that doesn't grip so well. And, you, and you're constantly changing as well in Scotland. You know, you're. I mean, don't get me wrong. You do get some terrific conditions. You know, when, when the snow um, falls without too much wind, um, I mean, a decent snowfall, then you get conditions like uh, a bit more like in the Alps, um, or you know, towards the end of the season when you get a, a milk-free cycle, um, yeah. you can get some lovely corn snow. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, a lot of the time, your kind of your kind of normal Scottish conditions is going to be absolutely solid and then wind blowing soft snow so you're constantly you get two turns on some really hard icy stuff and then suddenly two turns and really soft grippy stuff so you're, you're constantly having to adjust but yeah which is for sure it's going to be a good thing yeah but you get hard conditions in, in the alps as well I've, I've, we, yeah I've, I've, I've told this story before i think probably on or, or you know the similar thing before but i'm quite good mates with peter cool and um and uh he is he's always up there so on days where i'm like hiding in my house it's raining or something terrible i'll ring yeah. him up and he'd be on a chairlift with three clients i'm like mate what what are you doing like he's pissing down with rain <laughs> like why he's just like yeah it's just all right it's just weather you know like and they oh this is yeah the hardy bunch you scotch you know they're just uh out in all weathers it's a bit of a cliche but that, that's what it seems like to me well yeah i suppose so i suppose so um okay so i mean uh so tell me a little bit about like that would, that would tie in a little bit with the culture of sort of scottish skiing and mm. I was recently on one of these Bayesy working groups and we were talking about, like, we, we would like to know more, uh, talking to Bayesy about, you know, with their recent changes and stuff, we would like to know a little bit more about, like, you know, history of Scottish skiing and all that stuff going back to, you know, those boom periods in the 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever, when yeah. everyone was up there. But, you know, as a what, what, what does it, coming from there, like, what does it mean to you sort of culturally, um, you know, to be... To, to be from Scotland what does skiing mean within your communities that, that you hang out in yeah I mean it's like anyway you know you've got communities within communities so you know I'm from the central belt so I'm a lowlander yeah. uh, so for me uh, it's, it's something that I would do on the weekend yeah. um, you know if you go back to those kind of boom periods what was happening was there was 
Um, I, I don't know how many people were going up to the hills, but buses and buses and buses travelling from Glasgow and Edinburgh, and they would go up, and it would be a full weekend. You know, you'd go up and you'd get your skiing and you'd get your your night out and you'd get your accommodation for one night. And you know, yeah. it, it was. I mean, it must be. I, I can't. You know, I was, I'm too young to remember any of that stuff. But that's my my parents' era. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it must be such a buzz. Um, and, and having winters that were consistent as well, you know. Um, so, but then you've also got the communities who, who actually, you know, like around Aviemore or um, Glenshee is a bit more spread out, but you've got Braemar and you've got the Gowrie, you know, so you've got people that actually live closer to the mountains then who um, it would be, it would have brought money into to the economy and, and also they would be able to go just whenever, you know, even just in the evenings, they would be able to go out and walking and skiing in the hills. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's kind of, kind of different for different people. Um, I mean, nowadays, yeah, you've got um, you've got a, a really vibrant outdoor community in Scotland, um, and you know they're the sort of people that will just at the drop of the hat can just get out and and uh, you do it um, after work or you know a bit like people you see people in the Alps going out ski touring after work, yeah, and lift shot that sort of thing, and that, mm-hmm. that's kind of things happening. Um, so it's um, it's become I think for me it's become. Um, like another activity that you do, like all the ones I was talking about before, yeah. um, like winter climbing and walking and biking. It's another activity you can do, you can enjoy the mountains with. Yeah. We've um, got the other side to it, which is the resorts, you know, and the, the people that have, um, have been using the resorts. So, uh, for example, you've got somewhere like Glencoe, uh, which attracts a huge number of um, people from the West using Glencoe, Glasgow in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, so for them, it's... Uh, you know, it's a, it's something that they they do maybe a couple of times each year, um, and you get the groups of people who maybe have one holiday a year, and they'll complement that with just a, a few weekends skiing up in Glencoe, and the conditions are good. Cairngorm, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, has attracted people from Inverness, from Edinburgh, um, from the from the local area. Um, I mean, Cairngorm's an interesting one because it's had so many challenges over the years. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, you know, for people to actually make a living, uh, like independent companies to make a living out of Cairngorm, it's, it's been quite difficult to rely on uplift because um, you had problems with um, the train and then the surface lifts yeah. you not know, having enough to go and, you know, but I mean, Cairngorm used to, used to sustain a, a, a lot of businesses um, in the past mm. when, it was, when it was working better. Um, and, and Glenshee, you know, like I say, Glenshee's um, serving quite a, 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 wide com- a wide community. There's not, there's not a dense population immediately near Glenshee, but you've got Aberdeen quite close and again very close to Edinburgh but Glenshee is um, usually the less snowshore of the resorts um, so it's uh, it's kind of the one that if it's in good condition it's amazing and everyone rushes up there mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's quite rare these days that you get um, enough snow to, um, to, to to get the full uh, area open so it's, it's a big area when it is fully covered in snow Yeah, and then the, you know you've got the, the Lecht uh, which is this, uh, a very small resort near uh, near Aviemore as well, um, and it's um, it's a bit harder to get to if you're from the central belt. But it's um, they do a really good job of making snow, and they probably have more snow days than anybody else. That's a it's a very much a kind of local hill as well. Mm. Um, and then the fight, the final one, uh, which has got some incredible um, skiing off the back of it, is Nevis Range. Mm. Um, so Nevis Range is one of the the, the gondola that goes up uh, up to the cafe, and then from there you've got um, surface lifts, yeah, uh, as well. Um, and it's uh, yeah. I mean, when that's in condition, it's it's you've got this kind of alpine terrain dropping off the back into the back quarries. Yeah. Um, and yeah, big mountains. You know, you're right next to Ben Nevis, and they're very impressive mountains around there. So that that's a 
that kind of serves the Fort William community. It's not a very busy place uh, in the winter. Um, I think they're more busy with mountain biking now. Um, so yeah, it, every resort is very different and it attracts different people. Um, so it, yeah, it depends where you're from and depends what you're looking for. Yeah. But the the nowadays what what you're you're likely to find is that um, it's it's just a mad rush for the hills when you get that you know that that bluebird day in the forecast and you've got snow on the ground. Yeah. Um, those amazing days are very busy. So these these centres, unfortunately, they have this rush where they've got to accommodate a huge number of people, and and you can imagine this is only for a few days each season when these these days happen. Mm. Uh, so you're you're trying to run a business with, um, you know, keeping keeping people working for you for the duration of the year, yeah. and then suddenly this rush and these this small skeleton team has got then got to try and deal with, the, you know, yeah, mass influx the, the, the really busy days. So it's it's a tricky it's a tricky one. Um, so you know, so the, the the flip side to that is you've also got this other thing going on in Scotland at the moment, which is um, it's getting back to the the kind of skiing has been just another outdoor activity, and that's the ski touring. Yeah. And the beauty of that is actually um, you know you've got a massive country uh, full of mountains that potentially have snow. Um, you've got east, west, north, south. You've got loads of different places you can go. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you've got uh, this has always been the case. Uh, people have always travelled to to um, Monroe's to go skiing without lifts. Yeah. Uh, but um, I think it's a bit more visible now. There's a lot more information now, so that's attracting more and more people. Yeah. And this is going to be very interesting because uh, there's been a there's been a lot of interest. There's there's been a lot of talk, a lot of hype about you know backcountry, mm-hmm. um, and in particular not travelling abroad, trying to do it in in Scotland and, well, and England yeah. and, and Wales. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you can, you can talk about it as much as you want, but if we don't get the snow, it's not going to happen. So there could be a lot of disappointed people. This might not be the solution, <laughs> you know, but it could be. It could be equally, you know, if the, the two ways you can make it work, you can get lucky. We could have a cracking winter. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, then it's as, it is as, for ski touring, it is as good as anywhere. You can have some really good days. Um, or if we have a marginal winter, you could just be opportunistic. You could watch the weather, watch the wind, and go on those good days. But everybody's rushing off to the ski slopes. Yeah. And then you find Lors, or you go to Dromochter, or you find somewhere with a high, high road or a high car park, and, and you make your own ski hill. Yeah. Um, and and that, that works very well. It's, it depends on the distance you are from the hills. Yeah. So everyone's got a different way of doing it, and everyone's got their different reason to, to be up there. Mm. It's, it sounds, though, like to me that... that Scottish skiing as such probably let's say you know you and I don't know Baxter Freshwaters like all, you know all of those those guys that were sort of going through the uh, I'd say like the, the the racing scene maybe uh, what 20 20 30 years ago were a product of that sort of boom time when they were busting people up you know every weekend you know to the scottish mountains right then there would have been like a scene there but it looks like now from what you're saying to me that it's sort of pivoted and it's less about the the sort of the lift access but um uh, recreational skiing but maybe more people are getting into a sort of more generally outdoory vibe and getting getting more into touring and that will be the next evolution of, of of scottish skiing maybe yeah, I mean, well, what what we are seeing in Scotland is definitely a boom in outdoor activity, and, and in particular, hill walking uh, mm. through the summer, um, and 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 that is that caused that's caused issues in, in local communities because they haven't been able to um, to cater for the amount of people wanting to camp and and and, and they park their cars, etc. Yeah, really. uh, so, but what's interesting about that is, um, I mean, obviously, we have a very small number of those would be skiers as well. Yeah. Uh, 
But I think um, there are a lot of alpine skiers who, um, you know, they're, they're, they're wise to the difficulties of, of Scottish skiing. And, and, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll have ways around it. You know, if the resort skiers, they'll know when to go up to Nevis Rain instead of Glencoe. Yeah. Um, they'll, they'll know the days that um, it's worth trying Glenshee, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, some of them might have time, might be able to get off midweek. I mean, that's the real answer. You know, yeah, if you get yeah. off midweek on a good day, I mean, you can go to somewhere like Glencoe and have a cracking time and not have all the cues. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, but then at the same time, there are also a lot of people in Scotland who have the alpine skiing skills and are also hill walkers. So they have the navigation skills and they know the mountains and they, they know the, the, the good places that could potentially hold snow when the wind comes, brings the snow in the right direction. Mm. So those those two skills combined, well, the thing you're missing is you just need to be able to know how to use the equipment. And, and of course, the other uh, snow sports related knowledge like avalanche avoidance yeah uh, you know the the, the, the the other things that that, that need to add to their skill set but but those but those things are attainable um and and so we're seeing more and more people getting interested in ski touring and and starting to put the pieces together and think well actually you know i i, I saw that mountain in the winter and it was absolutely plastered in the snow and there's no reason why i could go skiing there is there yeah um so, so yeah, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting time and, and we've, we've managed to build a business on that just almost by accident, really. Just people were asking us to take them out ski touring and sort of take it from there and yeah. some really interesting products. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting that more and more people are getting into ski touring. I mean, I'm not, I'm not one of them myself uh, necessarily. If you, you saw me, you'd know that I'm not uh, not built to climb mountains. But the, um, the, the we run every year, we run a, um, an avalanche awareness of, off-piece safety course and every year we sell it out twice over sometimes you know because i think more and more people are looking to escape the crowds especially in these recent times right and and it's good to have a bit of knowledge with regards to what you're getting yourself into and maybe how to extricate yourself from it in uh in in the event that you're in a a wild place with just you know you and your mates um i think that kind of knowledge is incredibly important actually hmm yeah, I mean, it, the, the appealing thing for me is that it's. Um, it, I think it just puts you a bit more in touch with the mountains and and the weather. And um, I, I all like as much as I like my time in in resorts. Um, well, not so much the actual resort. I like the mountains and I like lift infrastructure and you know be able to zoom around these amazing places. And um, I kind of it does give this feeling of it being a little bit like a fairground, like you're almost trying to tame something that's wild. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So when you move from that infrastructure, you, you you really get a feeling of the wildness of, of these areas. Mm. Uh, add to that the unpredictable weather, you know, wherever you are, um, then yeah, you've you've got a quite an exciting place to operate. Um, and if you've got the skill set to be able to move through this area uh, and and to be able to deal with weather and and to be able to forecast what's coming ahead of you, mm. um, then it becomes very enjoyable as well because you've still got that excitement, but you're you're managing the risk and you're making good decisions. And you know, at the end of the day, when you get home that you've had this amazing experience, but you haven't taken chances. And, and that's a, that's a really nice thing to do. Yeah. And I think, that, so of course there is, there is, there are plenty of risks in a resort. You know, I'm not saying there's not, and, and it's, no, it's not a completely safe place. Of course not. In some ways it's more dangerous because yeah. there's people around you, you know, so you're no longer the only person that's, um, you know, there, there, there are, the things that can go wrong are quite often out, completely out of your control. Yeah. Whereas, you know, when you've made it, if you've made a decision to go into the wrong place off piste, well, that was in your control, but you just made the wrong decision. Yeah. Somebody crouching into you on an nursery slope. That, I mean, that wasn't really, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you didn't have much say over that, did you? No. Um, so I kind of like the fact that, um, that the onus is on you 
and with a few caveats you know you really you can um uh, you can manage things yourself um and then there's some horrible freak occurrences in the mountains and you know things do go wrong mm. but uh, if you make good decisions throughout the day then you really are minimizing that chance so i, I kind of like taking ownership of things and I, and I like the fact that when you move away from a um, prepared managed area um it's your responsibility and i, I kind of like that responsibility what um in terms of i know i've seen uh, i've been to scotland a couple of times and I, and I know what the hills look like i mean they're, they're certainly not you know as as jagged as a sort of fairly young mountain range like the uh like the alps would be but do you have, have you, the have you seen the cooling? well you know i'm i'm, I'm generalizing <laughs> a lot I'm generalizing well a lot. yeah you're, you're right of course but you yeah, know that you know the scottish it's, mountains are old mountains compared yeah, to the alps yeah. and, and i mean it depends what mountains you're looking at though i mean the west coast uh yeah. mountains okay yeah not jaggy like the alps you know there again there are a few exceptions but um like the west coast are are steeper and more more alpine in feel whereas when you go to the east and you've got the cairngorms they're very flat topped and very rolling um, yeah i suppose that was my question you know in terms of sort of avalanche risk are you the, presumably you're finding stuff of st- you know avalanche steepness um because i guess that's where you want to ski right when you're you, you're trying to find the good stuff but, yeah uh, I mean, it depends who it depends who you're with you know you can quite quite easily work you know, below 30 degrees, below 27 degrees, you, you can you can stay on um, flatter slopes and still have some, some really good days out. And, and because of that rolling shape of the Cairngorms, you know, it is possible to stay off the steeper stuff entirely. Mm. Um, but we don't have the depth of snowpack that you have in the Alps. Yeah. So we don't have, I mean, again, this is a generalisation, you do sometimes, but in general, we don't have um, the amount of layers that you have in the Alps. Mm. Um so, so, and, 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 and quite a lot of the time, the snow isn't sticking around terribly long, you know, so we'll have it, it'll disappear, we'll have it, it'll disappear. So we don't have this, this build-up. We don't have these kind of weak layers that have been left for a long time, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so uh, I'm not saying, sorry, I shouldn't say we don't have, we do have that sometimes, but it's not as common. The, the thing that is very common in, in Scotland is, is wind slab. Yeah, um, of course. You know, yeah, so yeah. Again, if you think about this, imagine, imagine this kind of polished surface, um, and then lots of wind uh, scooping snow up and just depositing the soft snow on top of this polished surface. You know, of course, that could feel very easily. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, I mean, again, generalisation, the, the good thing about wind slab is that I, I do find it relatively easy to spot. Uh, you know, it, it's mm. whereas sometimes in the Alps, it is, there's so many things going on in the snowpack in the Alps. You know, it's, it's mm. just, it's, 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 uh, there's, you're, you're just thinking about a, a million different things that could happen. Um, whereas in, in Scotland, yeah, uh, the things I'm more worried about um, are getting lost in bad visibility, taking a slip on ice, you know, falling on a rock. Yeah. Uh, a- avalanche is there, but it's but it's there among a lot of other hazards that are probably more likely than than, a, than getting yourself in an avalanche. Yeah. And then yeah, you have these. You do. I mean, we had some some terrible avalanches in Scotland, uh, and um, we've lost a lot of climbers. There's been a, a couple of skiers. Um, most avalanche. It's not been. Statistically, it's not skiers. You know, it's winter walkers and climbers who are getting caught in them. Yeah. And I think that it might be that just because in the culture of skiing, we're a bit more mindful of avalanche awareness, uh, a bit more savvy with it. And um, well, we do tend to carry a, um, a kit as well, uh, which mm. isn't, isn't happening that right, that commonly in the winter mountaineering and climbing. Um, so we've at least got a chance to, to um, do a companion rescue if, if it all goes wrong. Um 
But yeah, so so wind slab is the is the problem. Um, so the, the the problem you've got, of course, is that um, that snow is the nicer snow to ski on in Scotland. You know, I was talking earlier about how you yeah, can ski hard packed ice and then skiing in this wind this wind deposited snow, and of course the wind deposited snow is really nice to ski on. It's it very sure is, yeah. And stop, yeah. So so yeah, you're moving around the mountain. You're quite often linking up these patches of wind deposited snow. So then, yes, you have to be wary of that of slope angle and. You know, if you decide that you're going to go on to um, that kind of 30 degree mark um, up, then yeah, you got to be sure that that snow is not going to release. Yeah, um, yeah, and it does happen. You've um, you've mentioned a few times about the the snow not but or not being as consistent as it was in the in the past. What I mean, based on your time in the mountains, you've been you've been around the Scottish Hills a long time. Like what what um, what what trends have you seen towards how Scottish snow is coming during the winter now? You know, is it arriving later? Is it coming in bursts? Is it you know what what what's the what's the trend that your your gut tells you as opposed to what you read? You know, in, in yeah, the I mean, I, I don't, I just, I, 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 I don't know. Like as far as as far as reading um, theories and. I think um, I, I don't I don't know enough about that to, to say it's because of this or because of that. But I mean, certainly um, it, uh, the weather is. Oh, God, I'm trying to compare it to when I was like ten years old. You know, that's really difficult. It is maybe yeah. years old. I mean, I, it sort of felt to me that in the eighties and maybe early nineties, and I, I've, I haven't got the information in front of me, so I'm probably completely wrong with this. Mm. But it felt to me like I was getting we were getting more regular. Uh, week weekends, you know, you can get a season where most weekends you can be up north. Yeah. Whereas now we're getting um, really good uh, conditions, and then it'll just vanish. Really good conditions, and it'll vanish. But that's been the Scottish way for a long time now. You know, yeah. we call it the hair dryer. You know, the hair dryer's been turned on. Everything's been stripped. There's no snow left. <laughs> yeah, and, that, and that's just like that's kind of one of the challenges that you, you just have to be like, okay, well, how long is this going to last for? How many days have I got with the snow on the ground before it's going to disappear again? Yeah, so that's why earlier we've got like so many different versions of winter um certainly the last few years we've had a good november we've had like early november snowfall and it's been excellent you know it's a terrific time to be a ski tour and the the light is incredible you know you look that low sun and everything's pinks and purples and it's beautiful so november quite often has an early snowfall you get in the cairngorms it's really good vanishes again then you might get a few weekends through december and then January is probably my least favourite month because it could be amazing or it could be terrible. Uh, you just never know what January is going to be like. Um, and then in general, sort of February, March, you've had enough uh, snow kind of blowing in different places that you've got, there's enough options through that. Yeah. Um, you get some storms kind of February, early March, um, top things up. And yeah, it's just so, it's so sporadic. Um, and like, I was joking with, with my business partner, Gavin, like COVID really to us, it's not any different to the weather. Like yeah. we may get an announcement from from Nicholas Sturgeon that we are not allowed to travel on from next week. Yeah, that's fine, you know, because well, we might not have had snow next week, you know, so we have to be really flexible. Um, or suddenly we're allowed to travel. Suddenly there's snow on the ground. Well, let's just put a course on. You can easily yeah. round up six, twelve people that want to go skiing in the Highlands, and yeah. off you go. Um, so I mean, folk that folk that live here are just so used to these random winters where. You, you can you go when it's good and you you don't when it's not or you do something else when it's not yeah yeah uh, seems it just feels like it's been like that with a few exceptions for the uh, last 10 years but you've had we've had some amazing winters i mean especially uh, you know if you, 2010 for example 
um, wasn't you know we had a, a good long winter, a really nice spring in 2010, where the ski tournament was incredible. The last, the last really good one, of course, was 2018 with the Beast from the East. Hmm. And what was interesting about that is that you had an easterly wind, uh, which is less common, and um, nice cold snow, um, and that covered the west-facing sides of mountains when it blew in. Um, yeah. So you've got all this amazing terrain that you quite often don't get the chance to ski that faces west. Yeah. Um, so some of the gullies skiing off, off Nevis Range, the west-facing gullies there are just they're they're like they're as good as the Alps and they're as long as the Alps. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So you get these big storms that come in and it's just it's like a, a wonderland, you know. And that combined with the with the storms coming off the Atlantic basically plastered the whole country. Yeah. Um, all aspects and we're white you know so you do get these exceptions we're always hoping for that um, so you get enough of that you know every three years four years you get these good good winters and it's it's enough to keep you going um, and they, in the poor winters it, just, it comes back to your knowledge of the mountains your knowledge of the weather have you been following the wind you know do you know where the wind's been putting the snow over the last week yeah and then you put all the bits of the puzzle together even in a poor winter like 2019 there's still plenty of stuff to find plenty of sport to be had yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little bit more work. Yeah, it's it's sort of like a game, isn't it, for you guys? That's what it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's like you know, I, I, again, I, I find it really interesting because I came from an alpine skiing background, you know, mm. and I I wasn't thinking like this all the time, and and now I've got to put so much more thought into these into my day's work than I did when I worked in Val Yeah. Um, but of course, there are people who've worked in the outdoor industry for a, a long time and they're so used to this, you know, this is standard stuff for them, you know, mountain leaders, mountain guides, mountaineering instructors, you know, they, they, they think like this all the time. They spend their whole week thinking like this. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not a, it's not an unusual skill set to have, you know, in Scotland. It's just that, um, you know, Alpine skiers now, if they want to get regular good skiing and they're looking at ski touring, they need to think more like, uh, just general outdoor enthusiasts. Yeah. More like a guide than a, than a skier. Yeah, absolutely yeah so so the skill set for me um i mean i'm i'm a mountain leader you know i'm not a mountain head of course um but the, the skill set for me when i came back to scotland full time um the, the skiing side of things the technical side of the skiing it really wasn't as useful you know the mm. the mountain leader skills as opposed, as opposed to the instructor skills were far more useful mm. um so it's an interesting thing with qualifications as well actually because the the busy european mountain security exam is very much focused uh, it seems like it's focused quite on the Alps, you know. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Uh, it's for, it was part of the level four, so you know, if you're going to that that stage of a qualification, you're probably, I mean, the level four, you're probably looking at working in France, right? Well, yeah, I think. I, well, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure about how much longer that will last, but I know, yeah. I know, not anymore. Yeah, but yeah. historically, you know, I mean, most people, <laughs> yeah, for went, sure, they spend that much time and money on doing courses. They're, yeah, you know, when they get to four, they're probably looking at working in France. So, so the European Mountain Security, I, I sort of felt like it was very much focused on France, mm. um, and it's a really good course. But there are bits missing from it, you know, when you look at the Scottish Highlands. Yeah, you know, and so Snowsport Scotland have got a, a course called the Snowsports Mountain Leader, which kind of fills in the blanks there. You know, it looks at bad weather um, yeah. navigation, it looks at um, uh, use of axe and crampons, um, using using a rope to safeguard people in steeper terrain, all these sort of skills that you you need when you're operating in in, in quarries in Scotland. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's it. What's the um? What's the so the prevailing weather? It's been a long time since I've been in the UK, but the prevailing weather will be what a south, southwesterly, uh, westerly, southwesterly, yeah, like the Gulf Stream yeah. essentially that comes I and mean, then it comes over off the, the Atlantic basically. Yeah, and it comes over what the the west ridges and then just dumps whatever it's got. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you, if you imagine, imagine how a corner's built up, you know, if the, yeah. the wind is pack, pack, packing snow on the, on the lee slope. Yeah. Uh, and quite often scouring the windward side. So, uh, so yeah, so your normal conditions um, would be the, the, the kind of east-facing slopes and southeast facing uh sorry yeah east facing slopes up northeast facing that that sort of stuff's kind of filling really nicely mm. uh which is great because um there's some really good descents i mean for example the where i would expect to be working soon uh, and i could probably manage something at the moment is cairngorm um and you've got on the east side of cairngorm you've got this descent that goes this is the Cairngorm ski resort I'm talking about, like off the back of the ski resort, yeah. um, top of the mountain. You've got this east-facing slope, which is lovely, you know, sub-30 degree slope. Um, if you're careful, you can stay sub-30 all the way down. Yeah. And it goes all the way down to Lochan. And Lochan is this beautiful, isolated loch. And it's got, um, it's like a, there's like a beach on the edge of it. Mm. And you can see right down to the beach. <laughs> and, it, and that's not that uncommon. You know, in 2019, in that really terrible winter, we were doing that mm. um, with clients. And, oh, it's, it's a brilliant, it's brilliant. So there's lots of, like, sort of famous descents that we know are going to collect snow with just a normal winter. Yeah. Uh, but you're always kind of hoping you're going to get some weather coming from the north or from the east and, you know, some nice cold snowfall. Yeah, 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 for sure. When you're, um, presumably, some of the later season stuff, like I'm, I'm just now terms. I'm thinking about equipment and things. I'm looking at a picture here, right, from you in 2014 in Glencoe. You're skiing down this tiny little patch of snow, and there's rocks everywhere. Like you know, it's uh, it's pretty cool, pretty cool photo. But the the question would be, uh, presumably, that then you're just skiing patches of snow like that late on. Are you then? How are you doing the hiking? Like, are you are you changing out of your boots, or you you're 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 still doing the actual the climbing of the rocks and stuff in your in your ski boots yeah i mean that's not necessary there is there there are places you could probably go uh late on like in the cairngorms where you could get to the snow line and you could actually ski tour you know on yeah. and you know move around on the on the plateaus but yeah um i mean quite often what i would do late season is i would just go very minimal with the equipment mm. and i would just scramble up you know yeah. scramble up some ridges or, or go for a walk up, you know up a footpath Mm. Um, it take very light equipment, you know, light skis, light boots. You know, nowadays the kit is so good. Yeah. You, know, you can have high performance equipment, you know, and still have like a one kilogram ski and a one kilogram boot. Yeah. So it's not, you know, it's not adding a huge, huge amount of weight to your pack. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I can just hike just up on a set of approach shoes, and um, and then you know, skiing a gully, maybe skiing another gully, and then walking out again. It's, it's a really nice day. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. cool. But yeah, of course, like I mean, that side of the when you when you're doing that sort of stuff, there's very little margin for error. So that your 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 skiing has to be at a level where you're not really thinking about your skiing at all. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean that a lot a lot of the pictures you see um, being shared, like that's a really small amount, small part of the sport, and it's mm. a small part of the day as well. But they're the ones that people notice because it's like exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Skiing. yeah for sure. The, um, I suppose that then probably comes back to, to 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 racing, right? You know, like if you if you've, and I've, I'm sure I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but like if you if if you've got like a racing background, especially if you've grown up on sort of variable snow, um, you're racing that. Like you're not really thinking too hard in in these situations when you're in these kind of tight spots. You're not really, and some of these gullies that you've you've got pictures of, like the entrance to some of these, they're really tight, you know. And and um, my my thinking is like if you've got a racing background, you've grown up like that. You're not really thinking too hard about your technique in those instances. You're thinking about other factors 
you know the, the technique you're just doing what you need to do at that given moment to get that turn done right yeah i mean most most folk that grew up on a dry slope would have had to the, the, the coaches would have made them do short swings or jump turns ah uh, the famous yeah. shorts yeah, yeah. If you, you know what i mean by a short yeah, yeah. thing yeah i sure do yeah yeah sorry um yeah so uh yeah i mean i remember at hill end on the dry ski slope when the when one of the toes was broken you know you had a a one matting wide toe track yeah you know, a, a matting what's that I can't think, two metres. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah. Probably yeah. not even. Anyway, so, yeah, we basically have to do short swings all the way down the toe line, you know. And I, you know, I just, it goes back to that repetitive movement thing, you know, how many times have you just done this movement pattern? And yeah. a short swing, I, uh, as a child, I mean, I don't know how many I've done, a ridiculous <laughs> amount, you know. Yeah. So, be able to do that, being able to basically get your skis around and land on the edges without the skis sliding forward and landing, you know, yeah. completely controlled. If you can do that, then, you know, you, you tentatively enter um, one of these steep gully lines mm. and, and there's no reason why you can't go in on a rope you know if this is something you really want to ski and you've deemed it safe enough to ski mm. still go in on a rope you know you can be attached to a rope somebody um, you could be moving down the rope yourself you know or or you could actually lower it in and then you've got that kind of safety mm. um, but so the, 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 the sort of the normal way of entering one of these Scottish gullies um, is you would be coming in side slipping on your edges just making sure that the snow is grippy you hopefully you've hopefully checked that already yeah you know you could down or you may have climbed the gully already you hopefully know what the snow's like but you still want to be tentative going in on your edges yeah. and just getting a feel for it and then you know once you're comfortable with it you you plant your pole you get your first jump and that first jump takes you right around onto your edges complete standstill on landing you know you do not want to move forward at all yeah. if you land and slide forward just what a lot of people do you know, they get their tail got caught or mm. whatever. You know, there's lots of reasons why people can't get around a jump turn. Yeah. Um, and, and then they slide into the rock wall on the opposite side, and then you're in all sorts of bother. Yeah. So make sure that first one you get right around. And then after that, you know you know what the snow conditions are like, and then you don't have to jump. You can start to make the skis light around the corner, but, you know, not quite as aggressively. Yeah. And then you can once you know, okay, this is actually all right. It's something I can do. The gradient's starting to, to lessen a little bit. Mm. Start to ski normally. So yeah, when you look at the entrances to all of these skellies, they, they they usually look horrendous. But actually, that's again due to the wind. Because if you've got a prevailing wind that in the winter is building up massive cornices, mm. you know we can't deal with this cornice because it's too dangerous. And there's a few exceptions, but you don't. You would normally wait till the cornice is broken off and and, and you know slump back. But it still leaves a really steep entrance because you can imagine the cornice is slumped back, but it's slumped back to you know vertical at the top and then yeah. maybe degrees as you go in um but that's not what the run's like you know the rest of it is you know very quickly you're down to the 40 and then down to 35 and you know you you, you do those top bits to get to the good bits yeah so yeah 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 there are, there are some some gullies that stay steep the whole way down like like you expected what you get in the alps but um in general you know the the quarry rims are very steep mm. and then they flat off as you come into the quarry floors yeah it's amazing. I'm, I'm just uh, in the background while we're talking. I've got this um, this video from 2017, the broken lines. Been nervous once. Yeah. Some of these pitches just amazing. Like, really, really cool. Skiing down between the rocks. You know, like you can tell the the snow isn't. Yeah, you know, it's late late season, sort of fairly firm. It's just amazing. Really, really cool. Really cool. Ben, ben Nevis is, a, is an incredible place. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the north face of the Ben Nevis. So, a, a lot of people that go to Ben Nevis, like say it is like three peaks or something like that, or you just decide to climb Ben Nevis, most people would go up. Um, I've forgotten the right word for it. I'm going to say tourist path, but I shouldn't say tourist path. You're not supposed to call that anymore. <laughs> anyway, the path that goes up from Glen Nevis. Yeah. Um, 
which is, it's okay. You know, the first half of that path is really pretty. You've got the halfway lock in. Then after that, you're just walking up screen. The views aren't, the views are good, but they're not as good as when you've got from the other side. Hmm. And the inside of that, you know, Ben Nevis is an old volcano. So you're basically inside this caldera. Uh-huh. And you know, you've got like, you've got ridges up around the side. There's a couple other approaches up Ben Nevis, which are much more interesting up the ridges. Yeah. And then on the north face, you've just got all this. I mean, it's, it's famous. There are famous climbing routes, you know, mm. winter climbing routes and, and rock climbing routes. And then between these, you've got these grade one gullies and grade two gullies. So we grade them yeah. like winter climbs. Uh, and in general, most grade one gullies, grade one climbing gullies, can be skied. Um, and in in the in one of the quarries there, uh, sorry, the first thing you've got at the bottom of this north face is you've got a little hut called the CIC hut, mm-hmm. one of the very famous mountaineering huts where a lot of British mountaineers stayed and trained before they went off to do bigger expeditions. Yeah. This, once the climbing, once the winter climbing season is finished, then skiers can come and they can use this hut. Mm-hmm. And then above this hut, you've got a quarry with a little lock in, really beautiful little lock. And then you've got gully, 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 gully all around you. So there's this little playground for steep skiing. It's just incredible. Yeah. Uh, and you can either, if it's late season, you can do one of the scrambles. You can scramble up the rocks. Mm. Um, or you could even potentially, and what I've done in the past is I've actually done a rock climb with the skis on the back. And oh, then wow. come, down, come down a gully. You know, so it's a real nice blending of climbing and mountaineering and skiing. Yeah. But when we go there for clients, we just, you know, we, we go into the, the lock-in um, and we, from there, we just go up the snow on ski touring equipment and then ice axe and crampons for the steeper bit. Mm. But, but, um, but yeah, it's, 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 and then you've got, um, as well as that, you've got uh, the, one of the longest descents in the country, which comes from nearly the top of Ben Nevis, yeah. Gully, uh, which is probably in that film, actually. And it's um, steep entrance usually. And then it's got a bit of exposure because you've got to go take a right-hand turn above a cliff, and then you end up in this enormous gully called Observatory Gully. I mean, when you the first time you go into that, you will not believe you're in Scotland. It's just <laughs> the scale of it. It's huge. Yeah. And that takes you all the way back to the valley floor. Um, I mean, I've skied that when it's been 750 vertical metres of descent, I think it was, from oh, the top wow. right back down to the CIC hut. Yeah. So it's, um, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. If you're going to ski that lane for run, um, <laughs> it's enough. You know, yeah, you won't yeah, yeah. do many more turns than that. Your legs will be burning. Nice. No, but some of the this is really stuff. steep as well. So some of the stuff on the video is like, I mean, it's proper, you know, big, big skiing. Yeah, but then it depends what sort of side of the sport you're interested in. You know, you show that to somebody in Chamonix and they're going to say that's not steep. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, true. It is, it is for sure. It's steep skiing. But, um, you know, it's what is steep skiing to you. Uh, yeah. And in Scotland, we've got steep skiing. They tend to, it tends to just to be short sections. It's not the whole thing. And, of course, when you make a film like that, you're going to show all the steep, exciting bits, right? Yeah, so yeah, of course. Yeah. Lower down, it isn't like that the whole way down. <laughs> no, that's it's cool. a Tell me, um, let's let's segue a bit. Um, uh, aside from me just watching videos while you talk, <laughs> um, on the, the the so so you've got the the, the Facebook group British Backcountry, but yeah. also that is that's the that's the company that you run as well, and you run things out. Um, like what what's the, I mean, the 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 group wasn't a company. It was mm. when I came back from from France. I um, you know I I I'd started to get really into. Into, into ski touring, I almost say ski mountaineering, like I was skiing some pretty big faces and, and I'd, I'd got to know a few people out there who were able to sort of help me develop my skiing um, and I'd, I'd skied some quite steep stuff as well, I was getting more interested in steep skiing yeah. uh, and, but you know, for various reasons, personal reasons, um, for my family it was it just wasn't the right place for us, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not very into ski resorts, I, I don't really like ski resort towns, I love the mountains but I don't like the rest of it. Yeah. Uh, and I yeah, wanted to come back to either Holland or Scotland, my wife's from Holland. Okay. But 
Holland's not the best place for me, you can imagine. No, there's not a great deal of matters in Holland. <laughs> so, yeah, so we're, we're settled in Scotland. Um, so, yeah, when I came back, I just, um, I kind of felt like, yeah, I, I was go- I was actually going out quite a bit the first season I came back, and I was just going off on my own, and I was skiing all this stuff, you know, and I, and I was coming from the Alpine mentality of, like, you know, skiing, like, really quite steep lines, and it didn't seem like, I, I guess I wasn't, I, I guess I wasn't, um, I was kind of underestimating Scotland a bit too much, you know, I was just, because I'd been in these big mountain environments and I was just looking at these hills and thinking, oh, easy, you know, and I was ticking off all these gully lines, you know, and I was just doing it all. Yeah. And then I remember one, I think one night, I I went up to Cairngorm in my car, I sleep in my car quite often, and I went up to Cairngorm in my car and the moon was shining into this quarrying where we ski quite often. Mm. Um, And it was shining straight on this gully I hadn't skied. And I was like, well, you know what, I've skied in much worse visibility in the day. Yeah. So why don't I just go look at night, you know? So off I go in the middle of the night and, uh, <laughs> you know, um, and uh, I went up to the top of this very steep valley called Jacob's Ladder um, and uh, the moon was right on it. The thing was lit up like a spotlight. It was incredible. <laughs> and I wasn't going to do that one. I was going to go around to Aladdin's Cooler, which is a bit more mellow, but it's still quite exposed at the top. You know, mm. it's still quite serious, but I was more comfortable with that one. And I got to the top of this thing and I was like, oh, I could do that. I could really easily do that. It's like midnight, you know, it's ridiculous. Pitch black midnight with the moon on it. Um, anyway, I, I talked myself into it. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to do it. Up, yeah. and it, so I, I dropped into it. And um, the moment I dropped into it, the angle of, I just hadn't really thought about where the moon was, you know. Mm. And, uh, and the angle changed. And the moon went behind one of the other crags. So basically the lights went out, you know. <laughs> and, then, yeah, the, and then I realized how bad the wind was. And the wind's blowing up ice into my face and all the rest of it, you know. And it's just horrendous. So. Yeah. Um, did a couple of turns and realised it was it wasn't a good idea, mm. you know. So and they spent the next hour basically down climbing this thing in the middle of the night, <laughs> and, and, you know. And after that, I was like, I should really get some friends to do this with, you know. This is this is, this is not uh, this is not sensible. Um, uh, yeah, so I'd already been like basically trolling the internet for information about random gullies and stuff to to ski, and I'd, I'd noticed a chap called Scott Muir, a friend of mine, who'd basically. Uh, He'd, he'd been um, recording them all on his website, uh, Steep Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was using a lot of information from there and seeing a lot of other videos on YouTube and stuff. And I just thought it'd be really good just to bring all this information together, a bit like what Scott had done on the website, but on social media, just to make yeah. it really easy for people. Yeah. And also just to, just to basically get in touch with other people that are interested in the same sort of stuff. I thought, it can't be that many people wanting to do this like weird sport that I'm doing, you know, in the middle of the night on a steep gully. It's a bit yeah. unusual. Anyway, so, so I put all this stuff together and I kind of like things that have the same letter, British Backcountry, two Bs. Yeah. Called it that. Um, didn't really put much thought into it, to be honest. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, just more and more people started to join it. And I, and I started to, and initially it was very much your kind of diehard Scottish skiers. Yeah. A lot of information, a lot of very knowledgeable people, and just started making loads of plans. Met some really um, strong skiers and ski mountaineers and, and climbers who were getting into skiing, and yeah, just started to do some. Just I just learned so much uh, from through social media, but also from then meeting up with these people and, and on, on days out in the hill, and yeah, just discovering lots of areas I hadn't even thought of. And then yeah, more and more people started joining the group, which I didn't realise would happen, um, and it just mushroomed. You know, I think we're on about thirteen thousand now. And uh, of course, it's just people. A lot of people are interested and, and not actively taking part. But um, the, the media that's been generated over the, the last kind of I don't know how many years I've had that for must be five or six or seven. I have no idea. Mm. Um, oh, but it's been, there's been some really good stuff on there, like really um, uh, kind of yeah, just really inspiring images and stories of different routes that people have managed. And yeah, it's great. It's really good. Um, but what I mean, it got to the stage where it was so big that the the initial kind of core 
people that I'd met through that group sort of lost interest in it because you can't possibly talk about where you're going at the weekend there because there's 13,000 people in there. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not a good idea. <laughs> so, uh, but what it is now is a real good, it's a, it's a nice kind of showcase of, of, um, of UK terrain. It's not just Scotland, you know, it's, there's, there's stuff that happens in Wales and England as well. Um, mm. and, and that really interests me actually, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm really glad I didn't call it Scott or something, you know, it's, it's nice to have um, people from south of the border as well, sharing their, their adventures and also feeling like they're in, they're included in something up here. Yeah, um, and that people are willing to share the information about the Highlands with, with everyone, which is great. No, I've seen on that site. There's people skiing all over the place, Wales and, and uh, I guess what up in um, Cumbria and stuff like that. Like this. Yeah, there was a chap. There's a chap out in the is the Brecon Beacons. Yeah, um, like yesterday. I mean, I, he didn't get many turns on, but <laughs> <laughs> no, but he was up there. That's good it. to see. I like the enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. And then, and so that that then presumably has morphed a little bit into. You know, it's a bit of crossover with your your own outdoor business. So your oh yeah yeah so I so I mean that's what I guess I was getting at. But yeah, with that with that comp uh, start again with that group, mm. um, there were a lot of people asking. You know, uh, you know, you're you're a busy instructor. You know, you're not taking people out. And at the time, I was like, oh yeah. But going back to the idea that you know, I, I sort of felt that it was a different skill set for Scotland. Mm. Um, mm. So yeah, so I you know I, I did my mountain leader um, and. Um, I spent a lot of time um, in, in the hills, in the Scottish hills, um, visiting the areas in lots of different conditions that I would like to take clients and to the point where I feel experienced enough that I can lead groups in these areas. Yeah. I, 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 I didn't, I had done a lot of leading of ski touring in, 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 in around Spaskele. Yeah. Um, I'd done a little bit in Chamonix, um, a few other resorts as well, you know, so I was quite happy with managing the group and your kind of hazard you'd come across in, in the Alps. Um, but yeah, I just I, I waited until I'd I'd really got to know the areas uh, and was really happy with my skill set for Scotland before I started taking people out. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, it was uh, initially it was just myself. Um, I managed to I, I work with Atomic, um, so uh, ambassador for Atomic mm-hmm. for the special, for the backland equipment, you know. Um, so I'm very fortunate to work with um, with the guys from from Atomic. And, and they um, they let me use some of their uh, pool equipment, their test skis, demo skis. Okay. So I managed to build up a, a, a selection of the atomic backland demo skis. Um, so that meant I could just say to clients, "Look, you don't even have to have the equipment. You know, you just if you if you meet these requirements, yeah, um, you can just you know we can we can meet in a car park, you know, in, in Dromochter. I've got all the equipment. We'll just sort you out in the car park with the skis, and off we go. So there's really it's made it very easy for people to try the sport without. Um, Going to the expense of buying their own expense of buying their own equipment. So, mm. so yes, yeah, off just like um, uh, short tours and Ben Lors, Cairn Gorms, Dromochter, um, Glenshe, and and then uh, my my friend who I grew up ski racing with, Gavin Carruthers, he was doing similar things for Glenmore Lodge for the National Outdoor Centre. Okay, uh, and yeah, so so decided to go into partnership with him, and and he's helped. And sort of take the business to the next level and that we've got lots more products and bring a few other people in and um it's just a, a lot better systems um easy to book and uh, mm. i kind of manage the i manage more of the equipment side of things and um just getting the word out about what we're doing yeah so it's it's been it's been interesting to see how quickly it grows and it's got a lot to do with that group you know that um building that kind of that social media um network yeah it's just kind of it's up and running very quickly yeah Oh, for sure. What what what's your go to ski for for when you're doing all of this uh, this stuff in the background? What do what do you what do you tour and and ski on? 
Um, so in Scotland, I'm using an 85. So it's the the Backland 85. I've, I've actually, I'm really lucky. I've got the ultra light, so it's a very light ski and very strong ski. And yeah. that, that's just amazing. It's totally bomb-proof. I've, I've, I've actually still got the same, the ones I work on are, I've had for four years, five years. Yeah. And I, I have been offered the Euro, but they're just solid. You know, there's there's been no reason. So I've kept that for the, the, um, yeah, the whole time. But I've also got a 95 that I, uh, I'm not going to the Alps this year, but I used to use in the Alps the Backland 95, and that's got the shift binding on it. Because mm-hmm. You know, for, for teaching, it just makes so much sense. You know, if you're, well, it makes sense if you're into ski touring and you're an instructor. Yeah. Then you've got, you just got one binding you can do everything with. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, those are the two I use most. Um, and, you know, you don't need a wide ski for Scotland. No, you will. well. Someday, yeah. And maybe a wide ski would be great, but you're, you're more often than not, 85 is perfect. It's adequate. And even some days you can do a 78. Well, yeah, I, was gonna say, I, see, I see a lot of I see a lot of the touring guys that I see around here. These these crazy people who go, like you say, up after work or whatever, and the stuff mm. they use. Like they're they're clearly the guys that are more interested in going up than coming down. You know, like they don't look like they're having. A oh, great, so they're like on ski Yeah, they're like the ultra like 60, light stuff. Like they, you know, 70, yeah, yeah, they, you know, they, they, yeah, they're they're interested in going up, like say, and not really. You know, that it doesn't look like they're in it for the the skiing down. For sure, the skiing down looks like a looks like a, looks like an inconvenience to some of these guys sometimes. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah I've seen guys come up and then take the lift back there. Yeah, yeah, which is you know, all right, <laughs> each to their own. You know, skiing's different for everyone. But but yeah, I would have thought that you know, looking at some of this stuff that you're skiing, yeah, you're certainly not going to be on a huge fat ski. I don't think for for the it, majority of what you're doing, it feels clumsy. You know, I can I get it like. I've I've struggled with an eighty five when I've been working in Germany, you know, yeah. and it's and I've and I've been like like to the point where I'm like I'm never using this again here. It's just rubbish. And yeah. So like a ninety five for me in the Alps is perfect. Right. Um, right. I kind of ninety. You know, that's just it'll deal with all the sorts of snow because like you'll know yourself. Like how many powder days do you get? Not it's that not well. That, that you're yeah. That you're free on and not that often. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So I worked in Val d'Isère, and you know I would expect maybe. a a week, maybe two weeks every year where it'd be really good conditions and you get yeah. the big skis out. And yeah. in that case, you're probably not going to be touring, right? You're going to be doing lifts or stuff in the trees trying to keep yourself safe. I think so. Yeah. Well, and, and like, you know, like you say, it's got to fall on a, on a nice day and it's also got to fall yeah. on a, on a day when you're not working, you're not trying to deliver lessons or whatever, you're busy doing something or other else, you know, it's like running a ski school. But, also here in the Port de Soleil, as you as you well know, Avoria, where you've you've done some stuff before, is only like the top of that is like two two. It's not mega. Yeah. It's not a Val d'Isère. It's not Zermatt or whatever. And I don't personally, I don't really, I don't really feel like I need a fatter ski than about an eighty five or a ninety. It's just yeah. not, you know, it's not necessary. It just ruins your knees, as far as I can see. Now yeah, I could understand. I, I, yeah, it. I get yeah. that. I get. I get. I get that. I mean, I've read those those reports. I yeah. think. Um, for for me though, I get I get quite nervous in a wide skiing steeps, um, mm. because you you've just got this when you roll onto the edge, mm. uh, you just don't find the edge as quick and as I don't know what the feeling. It's almost like you don't feel it's accurate, you know. Yeah. And also, you're standing on a steep slope and you've got this um, this wide ski. You've almost got like a sort of centimeter outside of your foot, yeah. you know, stick out into the snow. Yeah. Uh, and and again, I just I don't like that feeling. I want the ski to feel right underneath my boot. No wider than my boot, you yeah. know, and, and I just feel like I can find the edge. Of course, if you go too narrow, you've got that problem of the boot in the snow, and you know, yeah. you, you losing the edge, which is even worse. So, it's like eighty-five for me, and I've got hobbit feet. You know, I've got pretty wide feet, yeah. but uh, eighty-five is just right. Uh, I feel confident. Actually, you've got a really good um, couloir, um, uh, the Don Dimidi. Yeah, you know, 
Midi, you've got the Don. I'm not pronouncing yeah, it. Yeah, the the Route Jaune down uh, down the Don de Midi. Obvious lane down the middle of yeah. the Don de Midi. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the most beautiful mountains, uh, you know, and and then the Alps. I just love that rock lane. So, so I skied that a few years ago. Did you? Uh, right, now we're talking. Yeah, yeah, no, with the guys from from Freedom to Ski, the from the ski school, and a few other people, a few friends. Um, oh, cool. Uh, yeah, so so we uh, we climbed and skied that, and um, I think I used. I think he used an 85 for that, actually. Now, that's it. So, listener, we'll, we'll, we'll talk you through that one because it is it's close to my heart. I see it every flipping day and it looks at yeah, me. Yeah, you know, but the, so you go up, there's a mountain range called the Don de Midi. If you want to look it up, it means middle teeth. So, Don, D-E-N-T-S, uh, do, and then Midi, M-I-D-I. And if you look at the front face, if you look at the second mountain to the right, there's a sort of X almost that comes down it. And, and the, the route jaune is the jaune, is, uh, that's the couloir. It's quite steep at the top, as I understand. I haven't done it. And I'd be, I was meaning to do it, but you know, I, I don't know. Like I haven't really, just haven't either got round to it, or, or as I get older, I kind of, I don't want to, you don't want to be falling down that. Put it that way. Um, there's, there's a little um, icy pitch at the bottom, which sometimes doesn't bank out. And that's yeah. difficult. But the, yeah. the entrance is, yeah, depends. It's, it's like everything. It's totally to do with the conditions. You could do that in the right conditions, and it wouldn't be terribly yeah. challenging. So you go up, you go up the back, don't you? You go up past the, the back, the south. Yeah, we didn't go because hut. we were working. I was working the day before, so we actually just got up in the middle of the night and just went straight up it, straight oh, back really? down it. Wow! But for sure, um, if you were going to do that one, um, it's like a lot of these routes in the Alps. If you can do them in a nice circular fashion, the night in the hut and, and yeah. see the set, oh, that's the way to do it. But I've always been cramming everything into all these little projects. I've crammed them into short windows, you know. <laughs> um, but it, it was great, you know. I've got a friend called. Well, there was a ski instructor called Mike Bates. He came over from Maryville because mm. uh, he had a day off. He, I mean, that's that's how, a, if you're into this sort of skiing, mm. you know, you don't think twice about driving for, he must have driven for about five hours or something. To get say, it's a long way around from Maryville. Uh, yeah. You know, from, from Three Valleys. And then, yeah. um, again, a, a friend I used to ski, um, challenge skiing in Scotland with called Peter McKenzie, who moved out to Switzerland, and he's always wanted to ski as so up he comes. Mm-hmm. And then my boss, Pete Hughes from Avoria, he came around, you know, so it was like, just sort of met at the bottom and off we went middle <laughs> of the night must have been about one o'clock or something I can't remember yeah and it's it's just uh, I, I, if you like a, a, a day trip like that is the hard way to do it for sure however it's just such a lovely journey because you start in farmland you know it's green yeah. farmland you're walking up through a forest and then you're getting up into where all the little chalets are you know transition onto seas and then as you're skinning up through these alpine meadows the sun's rising and everything's changing color yeah you know and it gets gradually steeper and then sun's moving onto the slopes away on the far side from you and then you're getting up into the gully and you know everything's starting to get steeper and you've got your backs and crampons and you're just plugging away at it yeah. get to the top and then the sun is just hitting it you're waiting for the sun just to get soften the snow a little bit and mm. it's just it's just a lovely journey you know there's there's so many parts to it and although it's a massive day and you know you look at it afterwards you think wow that was like yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. 10 hours on the hill it, it felt like it was 2 hours on the hill you yeah. know just it just moves they just moves through just so nicely um, and then of course you get the descent which is incredibly exciting um, yes yeah yeah well I, I've seen videos of people who've done it and, and I have to say it's wider than it looks and I guess it's oh yeah, yeah. I mean, not if, if you look at the uh, uh, ski tour.fr or um, any of these uh, let's do that one again oh, I've forgotten yeah um, yeah if you, if you camp to camp if you look at any of the gradients yeah. I think it's uh, four point four point two. I can't remember. It's it's not got a terribly high grading. 
Yeah. Um, but now you do have the ice pitch towards the ball, which you've got to be wary of. You need to know the conditions are perfect before you want to do yeah, it. Yeah. You've I also got a high avalanche risk, especially on the as you come out of it and risk of rock fall. And there's all sorts of things. But again, it's it's just a, it's like like we talked about Scotland. It's just an, it's like it's a very different side to the sport. Um, there's a lot more. In some ways, there's a lot more depth to it when you start to look at the actual mountain environment and the weather and everything else. Mm. Um, and I guess because, you know, if you're going to ski something like that, the technical side of the skiing is probably irrelevant because you're already skiing able, you're skiing well enough to do it. Yeah. So it's the, it's the other bits that are important. Mm. Yeah, 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 risk risk management, I think. Okay. So um, last thing I was going to ask you, so I'm just about to press go on the British backcountry calendar 2021. So you've, you, you, there's a purchase gone there. Um, which is it looks terrific. Got some great images and stuff like that. How how did the the, the calendar come? Oh, about? the calendar. I'm with you now. I thought you were talking about our um, our course calendar. No, sorry. Yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The, um, yeah. I I, uh, I got I got a, an old uh, old actually. Um, I got a, I used panel van last year and I started converting it into a camper van. Okay. And I had I had the space on the side of the bay and I was like, I want a calendar. <laughs> you know. And uh, uh, the only calendars I had were like, you know, the ones of the kids in their, you know, primary school. And yeah. I don't want to, you know, the kids and their mates hanging up in there. So, yes, yeah, so I thought, well, what sort of calendar would really like? And I thought, well, it'd be just really nice to get to skin pictures. So I was looking at one of these online things where you can put your pictures in and you make a calendar. Huh? Um, but my pictures, like, they're all just on the phone, you know, they're. Mm. Yeah, they look alright on a little screen, but you blow them up, no good. So I started thinking, well, I've got all these friends like um, Brody Hood and. Hamish Frost and, um, and Ed Smith and Nader Khan, these professional photographers that are, are you know, that are getting these incredible pictures. I was like, oh, I'll just approach them and see if I can use some of their images. Yeah. So, yeah, enthusiastic about it. And um, it's no sort of Scotland had this idea about um, maybe trying to have like a competition and, you know, get get lots of images together. Yeah. And, and, and you know, the winning 12 or 13 in the calendar but it didn't really happen last year because you know we had that terrible period in January and then mm. Covid shuts down at the end yeah. so, so yeah oh, well I just approached all these photographers um, yeah and uh, and um, it ended up being that was like my, my lockdown project I, I did not understand how long that would take me yeah. um, and because I was trying to these are guys I really respect they've got a really good eye for, for what works mm-hmm. um, so yeah I was getting lots of input from all these different photographers and everyone had a different point of view and it was an absolute nightmare trying to put it together I got given all these great pictures and then I had to choose which ones to use <laughs> and it was the hardest thing I've done all year um, and then we had some other ones that are not professional photographers, but just stood out. You know, we thought we'd put them all together. Mm. But in, at the end, um, it's, there's some really striking images in there. But for me, what it does is it it, it actually um, it's a representation of all the aspects of the sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got some steep lines, you've got some more metal stuff, you've got different times of year, um, you've got um, some uh, you've got, uh, Finley Wild in there, who's uh, famous for ski touring. Mm-hmm. He's uh, the endurance runner and, and ski mountaineer. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's lots of different things, lots of different stories to tell in that. So yeah, it's worked out quite well. Huh? So you, you can get them from Fall Line, or you can get them from Craig Don or Tyzo. Uh, we also stuck in the Braemar Mountain Sports and Cairngorm Mountain Sports. Yeah. Uh, Backcountry UK in Otley, they've got some. Okay. Uh, I feel like I'm missing somebody, but yeah. So basically, I I was I just wanted to get them out in stores uh, rather than send them out mail order. Yeah. Uh, that's really, really cool. How many have you sold? Uh, I printed 500, wow. um, and I've got about 120 left here. 
Okay. Uh, but I don't know. There's, I mean, the stores won't have sold them all yet because it's it's more a Christmas thing. Yeah, yeah, so for sure. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that they'll they'll sell before Christmas. It's gonna be. Uh, it's going to be this year's Christmas present to myself, so I'm going to... Going to yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, would make a, I think it is, it is quite a useful one. I, I, I've got a lot of friends I've been sort of thinking, like, what sort of things would they like for the Christmas? And Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. That's really cool. So um, if anyone wants to book you for touring, uh, learning how to navigate, learning how to just get into the the British Scottish backcountry, where, where, where could they find you? Where, where, uh, where, where Where's the best way to get in touch? I mean, if you just search for British Backcountry, you'll find us. Um, so we've got, we're obviously on social media, but our website is www.british-backcountry.co.uk. That's www.british-backcountry.co.uk. Okay. Now, the, at the moment, I'm, that's my job for today and tomorrow. I'm going to make sure that the dates are all there because um, we haven't got all our dates on that website yet, but they will be in the next couple of days. Okay. So uh, everything from, like, introduction skills for people who are skiing but have never actually uh, skied tour before yeah. right through until the, the steeper stuff which we spoke quite a lot about today yeah yeah uh, and we've also got you know what's starting to happen is people are missing some parts to their skill set so they might be a very strong ski tourer but they've never done any rope work so we run like rope work courses where you get a day of doing all the skills and then you go out on the second day and actually do it as part of a journey and yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Then we've got the mountaineering skills, and then we've got the navigation, navy skills. So you can actually book on, you know, if there's a, if there's a part of if there's an area you want to develop, um, yeah. you can do that. Or if you've never skied tour before, we have lots of actual ski touring courses which just cover everything. Oh, that's really, really cool. Really cool. All right. Well, look, um, thank you so much for, for for taking part. I really, really appreciate um, the time that you've taken to, uh, to have a chat. No problem at all. Well, yeah, you know, we've got to, I, I think the thing is, we just got to keep going and, uh, and try and navigate the sort of the shifting landscape as, as best we can. But yeah, I'm, uh, uh, let's see, let's see how it goes. Hopefully it will get more positive as time goes on.